0: hello everybody uh, I'm joined by my colleague Ken Rubin and today we found that it would be pretty uh pretty aligned with where we're at right now getting in you know finishing up the holidays all these resolutions that are being made to kind of talk about you know some thoughts around making those resolutions last you know um, you know resolutions last probably you know a couple weeks tops <laughs> for most people so I don't know how many gym memberships I've, I've blown through <laughs> um, over the past years but it's um you know, in in terms of being in the kitchen, let's let's talk about some some helpful tips. So I'm going to talk about just some general tips. Um, we'll get into some um, basic cooking methods. So you know, one of the things that I have found over the years, and you know, I I used to do these uh, when I worked for Whole Foods Market. I would do these media tours right in January and, you know, with some just some key messaging and things like that that we would have to cover. But one of the things that really hit home for me and for a lot of clients and and students that I've worked with is really doing that one thing. You know, um, we have these New Year's resolutions that are so far fetched from reality for a lot of people of like, you know, you're eating a standard American diet and you're like, I want to go vegan, you know, plant based, no oil uh, over the New Year's. That's really difficult, as you know. So, you know, take that with those steps and take those, you know, and kind of identify that one thing that's going to get you to your goal. You know, if that one thing is, you know, I'm going to incorporate a salad every day. That's huge for a lot of people. Right. Or I'm going to start reducing my consumption of processed foods. You know, I'm going to stop buying processed foods. Um, I'm going to start eating, um, you know, vegetables as the center of the plate for one meal a day, you know. And for the majority of the people that are on this call and this live event, I'm sure that you know you've adopted a, a high plant based diet, if not exclusive plant based diet, since going through this course. So, um, so I may be preaching to the choir here with some of these tips, but there's certainly great, uh, great suggestions as you get into this new year, as you kind of, um, as people stumble upon their New Year's resolution and try to figure out ways for to make them last. So doing that one thing is huge. I think, um, you know, setting, setting these far fetched goals is pretty, pretty difficult to achieve for a lot of people. So doing that one thing, that one thing can be a salad, as I mentioned, you know, the eliminating the processed foods, that one thing can be starting to sprout. You know, we have that sprouting lesson within this course and, you know, sprouting is a lot of fun when you actually get into that, uh, that process, into that habit, uh, that healthy habit. So, um, another thing is getting in those greens as much as you can, you know, um, um, <clears throat> uh, we'll talk about nutrient density in a bit, but, you know, incorporating greens in almost all of your savory dishes is a great way to, um, you know, take that one step as well. That can be in smoothies and juices, as you know, you know, tons of salads, adding some greens to soup, some heartier greens, um, you know, and different sauces and so forth. So, um, you know, adding in those greens is huge and that's a big step for a lot of people. So, Um, so another thing is, um, you know, if making this easier is batch cooking, you know, we talk about this many, many times throughout this course and on so many of our live events, but, but really that is probably for me, that's the easiest way. That's that one step for me, that one thing that I do that really keeps me in check with eating whole grains and beans, um, um, as a complete meal, a number of times during the week. And it's to batch cook. It's making a large, uh, large quantity of beans, Uh, especially because I don't eat nearly enough beans, you know, I'm, I'm definitely one of those that will reach for something that's a little more convenient. Yes, it's vegan, but it's, uh, you know, some of the processed ingredients, um, and, um, um, you know, so having some beans on hand is so helpful for me, uh, around the holidays and after the holidays and just in general. So, um, one of the companies that I like to order from, if you haven't checked them out already, uh, Rancho Gordo, they're out of San Francisco. They carry an amazing selection of heirloom beans. So certainly check those guys out. They have uh, a great, great selection of heirloom beans that change seasonally. So, <clears throat> so batch cooking is one of them. And another one is start incorporating, you know, some of these healthier techniques within your diet and within just your general cooking repertoire. So, um, you know, we talk about, uh, the no oil sauté. uh, different ways to build flavor without reaching for that oil, right? We talk about whole food fats and, and different ways to really incorporate whole food fats within your diet. And, um, you know, just because, um. Just because you eliminate oil in some of your recipes, or even all of your recipes, doesn't mean that it has to lack in flavor. So whole food fats, just like all fats, extracted fats, and whole food fats, you know, they're carriers for flavor. So um, whether you're using avocados or avocado oil, or or you know different whole or different olives and olive oil, you know, these whole food fats are going to carry that flavor and give you that sort of mouth feel that we look for when it comes to um, you know some of those more savory items. So um, so incorporating whole food fats is great. Um, Um, Also, you know, we talk about dressings a number of ways, Um, you know, incorporating more homemade dressings. That can be a huge step. And um, that's a lot of that's a big step for a lot of people, because if you look at a lot of the store bought dressings, they're so high in fat. A lot of them are high in sugar, packed with sodium. So making them yourself is a great step, you know, is a great first thing to do. So usually what I'd like to do is um, whenever I'm doing these classes, I'll have a checklist and for people of, you know, uh, for students and clients of like, you know, just choose one of these. One of these, one of these things that work for you, and once you accomplish that, and you feel you feel comfortable with that change and with that step, move on to the next thing. You know, rather than setting this massive goal that's unreachable, you can take those steps to get there um, and enjoy the process. That's most important. So, um, the other one is, you know, we talk about nutrient density within this course. Uh, we've broken it up to micronutrients and macronutrients. Um, uh, macronutrients are more like proteins and carbs and, um, and fats and things like that. Whereas micronutrients are, uh, phytochemicals, uh, vitamins and minerals and so forth. And so if you look at, um, if you look at, uh, let's say greens, for example, dark, you know, choose dark greens, you know, rather than, um, other lettuces, you know, choose dark greens when you can. Dark greens are going to have more of those nutrients per bite. Um, you know, for that nutrient density, uh, choose an array of different colored vegetables, that's huge as well so uh, when i was over at whole foods market we um we launched the andy scoring system which was within the produce uh, department that uh, Dr. Joel Furman had developed. And what it is is it stood for aggregate nutrient density index. Um, and what it was is it was basically a a scorecard on on produce. and it it basically rated items based on nutrient density per calorie. So um so dark greens were the highest with uh with buck choy and and kale and and mustard greens and um, uh, things like that that were uh, about a thousand, whereas, you know, something like iceberg lettuce is about a hundred, you know? So, so taking that first step of like, you know, incorporating more greens, that's why I really push those with, with so many dishes. And, and that's a huge step for a lot of people, as I mentioned. So, um, so getting back to the cooking technique. So we, we talk about whole food fats. So um, when it comes to caramelizations, caramelization happens <clears throat> does not need it does not need the presence of oil for it to happen so we show this within the no oil lesson and you can certainly adopt this in so many different recipes so many different applications and if you are looking at the water test that we cover in a number of spots throughout this course. The water test is making sure that you bring your pan up to proper heat, Um, and so you're basically creating that mercury ball effect with the the pan, making sure it's hot enough to then, if you're choosing to use oil, add the oil and then the veggies or onions um, to to caramelize, or if you're going no oil, you use the same process, that's creating that nonstick uh, surface within the pan. So then you add the cold onions, Um, room temperature onions or leeks or shallots or things like that that you're caramelizing then constant constant stirring is gonna you know make sure that they don't stick Um, and you're gonna create some sort of speckled effect on the bottom of the pan as you know that right there are the sugars so then you deglaze it with a little bit of a flavorful liquid as we've talked about Um, and there you have a great start to any dish and that's giving you some nice caramelization and nice sort of base foundation flavor to sauces and and stir fries and so forth so <clears throat> you know we also talk about no oil roasting and there's there's certain ways to do this um to keep successful with no oil roasting um, and one of the ways is um, is um, to be um, uh, making sh- making sure that you add moisture at the end of the roasting time because you know oil seals in moisture when it comes to roasting so the end result with a no oil roasted product is going to be quite dry so you want to add more moisture to it whether it's during the cooking process or whether it's um, you know finishing those roasted vegetables with a squeeze of lemon or a flavorful dressing or sauce or things like that um, it's going to make a world of a difference there so um, other things is you you know, maybe your new year's resolution is to reduce sodium. We can all withstand a reduced sodium, um, you know, over, uh, the majority of our sodium intake is from processed foods. So we have an opportunity with working with scratch cooking to, you know, you know, limit the sodium when we can, you know, and, um, You know, we work with the Forks Over Knives uh, community and that team over there, and one of the ways that they describe working with sodium is using surface salt opposed to seasoning as you go. So as you season as you go, you know, some of the sodium gets lost. Um, and so sometimes you can over season. So whereas if you're uh, under seasoning and then you're actually um, seasoning to order, um, you know, let's say that you're making a risotto when you don't add any seasoning during the process, but then you just add a little surface salt, you know, then you're able to regulate the sodium. So that's a simple step that you can make as well. If you're trying to rid your, rid all sodium from uh, certain dishes, you know, look at, look at other ways to really bring flavor out in dishes. So um, we have this at the end of the no oil unit. We talk about um, you know, kind of scanning through a recipe and looking at each ingredient and asking yourself, how can I bring out maximum flavor within each one of these ingredients without reaching for that sodium? So <clears throat> for example, you don't, uh, instead of me you can slow roast or, um, um, or you can grill, or, uh, if it calls for a sauce, you can reduce it to really concentrate those flavors. Uh, uh, instead of, um, Uh, instead of reaching for already ground spices how about toasting your spices and then grinding them it's a world of difference in adding so much more flavor there Um, does maybe maybe it needs a little more acid maybe it needs a little more sweetener maybe you can add a handful of fresh herbs to it and you know just thinking of uh, thinking outside the box a little bit from how we you know classically cook and what we're so used to um, of adding flavor and reaching for that salt you know think about all the other ways that we can add flavor to a dish so you so you can reduce the sodium intake. So, <clears throat> so that's, that's really important. Um, and just, you know, most importantly, you know, we talked, I mentioned, uh, nutrient density, but just be mindful with the food that, you know, food is, is, is so much more than fuel and, and every bite counts, you know, and, and when you think of food that way, then it really keeps you in check, you know, and, and you can really enjoy the process of, of incorporating a lot more whole foods into your diet. So, um, and then another way is, and I know Ken's going to speak of this as well, when it comes to seasonality and choosing ingredients but um you know uh, i love going to the market you know the markets are open uh, year round down here in austin i know i i understand that some parts of the country there aren't because of the the weather Um, but down here, I, I love going to the market and I love getting, supporting local farmers, local, local suppliers, and you get just, uh, foods in the peak of sweetness and the peak of ripeness and, and, you know, choosing foods and ingredients that are packed with flavor is half the battle there when it comes to creating dishes, as you know. So you have to add minimal seasoning to them. And some of the best dishes that I've had and that I've created personally are the simplest dishes, you know? Um, so keep that in mind as well. So, um, and just because that you're Just because you're going to, if you make a new year's resolution about adding more Um, whole plant-based foods into your diet uh, does not mean that they need to lack in flavor and texture. You know, this is the benefit of plant-based foods. There's so much texture, obviously, Um, you know, mixing up different raw and roasted and steamed and and blanched vegetables all together. Um, You know, like mix up your salad, for example. A salad does not have to be just boring greens and a dressing. It can be, uh, I love adding just a ton of different types of vegetables um, to my salads, whether it is grilled vegetables, whether it's marinated vegetables, or pickled vegetables um, or blanched vegetables and then adding a dressing from there forward. And just kind of taking that step and in, in incorporating all these textures is a great way to enjoy salads more as well. So I tend to get sick of just a plain salad all the time, so I like to mix it up a lot. Um, you know, I talked about batch cooking, keeping those ingredients on hand so you can just reach in uh, and not reach for that uh, the, that processed uh, meal. Uh, that's so convenient to grab, but looking at um, having all these vegetables prepped and ready to go in the fridge is half the battle right there it's so important to actually have those on hand so that you can whip up a salad real fast or a quick stir fry or any kind of soup or anything like that so um so making you know setting yourself up for success is is I think one of the most important pieces when it comes to you know making resolutions and you know a healthy diet sustainable in my opinion. So um, another way is we talk about also within this course, and I know that we have a lot of alumni here that have gone through the course. We also have students that are still um, in the beginning stages of this course, but um, in the raw uh, raw gastronomy unit, we talk also about sprouting and fermenting, <clears throat> which is really important to incorporate as well. Fermented foods. Um, is wonderful to incorporate into your diet, and you know with all those healthy bacteria and, di- um, you know probiotics and so forth. So uh, incorporating fermented foods is a great way. You can ferment yourself. You know we show we have a great video on sauerkrauts, making your own, uh, and the versatility of just working with those base recipes are fantastic. Um, the other way is sprouting, as I mentioned. Um, couple ways of sprouting. One of them is jar sprouting. Um, you can do that just by getting a large jar with uh with uh, um, you can get screens on top of the jars or even just, um, um, you know, um, uh, cheese cloth, which is fine having it at a 45 degree angle after you rinse them twice a day, I would say. Um, and you just, you have, you know, a jar of sprouts for pennies and about a tablespoon, of uh, about a tablespoon of alfalfa seeds or clover seeds is going to give you um, uh, about a quart and a half of sprouts, which is amazing. So uh, literally pennies to have the nutrient dense additions to your salad. So um, the other thing is juicing in in smoothies. You know, a lot of people like to dive in a juice fast. Every year I like to take a, uh, I like to dive into a juice fast and kind of hit the reset button for myself. And and so, um, you know, incorporating more juices and looking at juices as um, as you can you can incorporate them more into your existing diet and in existing menus. But um, if you're looking to go on a, a juice cleanse, you know, keep in mind that um, you know there's some shifts that happen when it comes to cleansing physically. But there's also some some uh, some emotional cleansing as well. So keep that in mind. A lot of people aren't really warned about that before they start uh, adopting a juice fast or um, looking into incorporating just whole plant foods. You know, there are there is um, certain, certain, uh, cleansing aspects that are not talked about so much that you should definitely know about. Um, if you, whether it's for yourself or whether it's for your clients or students or any, uh, anybody else that you work with, if you are an educator. So, um, so, you know, also, um, you know, uh, it's kind of shifting things around and if you're not already fully plant-based, uh, a good way to really, um, you know, push to people also is making plants the center of the plate. And, um, you know, and if you are plant-based, maybe that center of the plate isn't a processed product. Maybe it's, uh, more bean-based, right? So, um, you know, incorporating a variety of beans, a variety of vegetables and ingredients into your diet is a great way to, to really add diversity and, uh, and flavor to, to your overall weekly. Menu. So, um, anyways, just to, I just wanted to um, uh, give you some short tips there and just kind of encourage you to, you know, if you are making a New Year's resolution, we all love to make them. Uh, but make them last by taking those simple steps. So, you know, do that one thing a day to really accomplish, you know, your goal, you know, and kind of get you to that point where you want to get to uh, in the kitchen um, and with your health. So um, on that note, I'm going to pass it over to my colleague Ken Rubin to uh, get into a little bit also of his thoughts around the subject, and then we will get into questions. So uh, over to you, Ken.
1: Great. Thank you, Chad. And also wanted to wish all of you a happy new year. Uh, It's great to have you you know, with that comes some, you know, new ideas around cooking and maybe some uh, searching out for, uh, you know, ways to kind of, uh, as Chad was saying, ways to kind of stay on track and making sure that every bite really counts and, you know, being very, very mindful about those those food decisions. Um, one of the things I wanted to just add to the conversation uh, is a piece of uh, the equation that kind of works for me, um, kind of in a, in a personal way in terms of my overall connection to food, my kind of uh, relationship to food, um, and there's kind of two pieces that I that I want to that I kind of want to talk about that um, that dive into this. And the first is really, you know, during these winter months, uh, at least where I live, I don't have access to as much, uh, you know, diversity of produce and things. Um, in the Pacific Northwest, we have a little bit of a lull, even though we still have plenty of things in cold storage from the from the from the harvest. You know, plenty of kale and broccoli and cauliflower and cabbages and potatoes and other other root vegetables and such but you know really things begin to pop in about six or eight weeks so i i kind of take this opportunity for myself to you know cook um a lot of very comforting very simple foods um soups and stews um and just to kind of get into uh, certain ingredients and certain preparations that just kind of resonate at that real kind of comfort level um things that are very warming and things that um you know, for me, I even like to serve from like a communal bowl or a communal pot. There's just a great, um, for me, sense of sharing around the table with my family and my kids, something that's like hot that we all get to share from the same pot. Um, so I really kind of dive into a lot of those uh, traditional recipes that, you know, use the vegetables, use the produce that we have right now, knowing that we have a lot more coming here in the next uh, the next few months. Um, you know, using also things from the pantry, uh, things that might've been dried or preserved to, uh, add flavor, to build flavor, things like dried mushrooms and various like condiments and sauces and things to kind of boost or, you know, add, add brightness, uh, frozen pestos and things are great for this. Things that you might've put away from the summertime when you had lots of basil, lots of, you know, green herbs. Um, but you didn't want to have, um, you know, old pestos sitting around. So the freezer is a great place to, to put things like that. So that's kind of one piece. is just, for me, almost knowing that when springtime hits, I'm um, gonna have a whole new uh, adventure and it's a good time to almost just kind of come back inside a bit and uh, you know, be very, very thankful for some of those simpler types of foods. Um, uh, for me, that's just a, a kind of a, a, a practice. The second thing for me that I just kind of want to share uh, as a way to keep your inspiration alive, and to really make your relationship to cooking and to food uh, much broader, much bigger, is to find uh, some topic, some uh, food item, some ingredient, uh, a recipe, some type of cuisine, uh, maybe a topic uh, around the health and wellness question, um, and just use it as you know a, a launching point to jump into some subject and become, you know, really well-versed and find a subject that you care about, that you have interest in so that when you're researching and reading books and looking online and whatever it is you're doing to kind of, to, uh, you know, learn more, um, that you've got, you know, a broad range of, of, of different, you know, references and different types of materials to look at, but also so that you're able to go, um, as deep as you want, like as into the subject as you want. And you'd be so amazed, um, if you started kind of like looking around and, uh, you know, with what people are publishing and what people are kind of writing about, the the range is so huge out there. So, um, you know, many of you know, I have a, a really deep interest in food history and food culture. So from time to time, I pick up uh, books about the history of different food items. And, you know, for me, that is just such a, a easy kind of like launching point to rediscover Uh, a food ingredient or a type of a food. Um, And just kind of by knowing more about it, I just feel more attached and more kind of close to that food. And for me, that's really cool because it's like something as simple as, uh, say, beans or potatoes, um, you know, have a huge history and so um, dynamic in terms of the different uh, countries and places and all throughout time that these foods have uh, existed and been used in various ways, and it creates, a for me, a real sense of connection to the foods that I cook and eat, and the past, and then, you know, living people all around the world who are um, enjoying similar foods, but in, in much, much different ways, and I think I just find that whole um, subject to be really fascinating, and um, just kind of like extracurricular on top of the uh, practice of cooking. So, for me, when I learn about these things, and I oftentimes go pretty deep into some of these subjects, it just gives me such a better um, appreciation when I'm shopping for something or when I um, see a product, um, knowing knowing kind of the you know, multi hundred year history of it. Uh, it just makes it that much more um, important for me to cook it in a way that you know tastes really good and makes a lot of sense, and that you know understands uh, the the origins of that of that product. Um, You know, one of the books I've been reading that I love um, is a book about the history of the potato, Uh, something as simple as that that many of us probably uh, don't think too much about. But, you know, for people who are in the plant based world, there are so many different kinds of potatoes and other root vegetables to enjoy and to uh, experience. And, uh, you know, again, having the kind of understanding of the diversity and range of those products gives me just a lot of reason to keep cooking those things. It gives me this like kind of thing to fall back on so that when I'm like, Oh, what do I want to cook or what am I thinking about? Um, Just another kind of focal point for me. So um, the whole, for me, the whole ability uh, and to be able to encourage people to dig into a subject. um, Again, something that's got to interest you. It's not about something that, that I'm interested in or Chad's interested in or someone else, but Find that, par- that part of the equation, that piece of the puzzle um, within the food world, uh, you know, some ingredient that you love, some ingredient you've never heard of, but you keep seeing and you just want to know more about it. Um, I think you'll be very, very surprised how much information you can find um, and then all the different things that can come from that. Again, from the uh, history side to the kind of uh, actual practical cooking side. So it becomes very, very cool. I'm going to go ahead now and just dive into some of your questions and then pass, uh, pass back to Chad. Um, but looks like we have some good questions coming in here. Um, first one here is you mentioned bash cooking for clients. Can you walk through uh, a typical cooking day? I'm going to probably have uh, Chad address that when he comes back in just a second. Uh, which was your 2016 cooking book or cooking inspiration book? Um, gosh, uh, there's so many books that I read in 2017. Um, You know, one of my favorite books, I guess, that was just so different um, in terms of cookbooks was a book called uh, Power Vegetables written by the folks at Lucky Peach magazine. Um, It's a vegetable cookbook. It's not a vegetarian or a vegan cookbook, but it focuses on vegetables and does some really um, innovative, interesting things. And it's just really, frankly, a lot of fun to read. So um, the Lucky Peach folks tend to be, um, you know, very kind of um, irreverent and creative and kind of, uh, pretty edgy. But, um, this book in particular, I found to be, uh, pretty, pretty, uh, entertaining, pretty interesting to read and definitely doing some very cool things with flavor development and vegetables and ideas around presentation and such, uh, as well. So I'm sure Chad will also chime in and, uh, give some of his, his top books. Uh, as far as 2017, um, no, I'm not sure what to expect exactly in 2017 for cookbooks. I know that there's, a lot uh, in the works right now. Um, there's just so many projects happening out there. I also know that there's tons of publishers um, in 2017, you know, looking at doing some, some new and different things, you know, these uh, shorter format books, uh, more like uh, uh, series or like compendions uh, ty- types of things, um, as well as a return to uh, the types of cookbooks that we haven't seen in a long time, probably in, in 10 plus years. Um, these large format cookbooks, um, you know, using um, large sizes and uh, kind of different different format books um, around food and cooking. Um, so lots and lots to look forward to, I think, in the publishing world there. Um, would love to see a batch cooking demo. Uh, you could send out grocery lists. So uh, these live events, you know, typically just have kind of a, a Q&A or a presentation of some sort. Uh, Batch cooking in most cases tends to cook food in a very plain state, so it would be like simmering black beans or making uh, sorghum or brown rice or quinoa um, or batch cooking a huge amount of uh, pumpkin to puree or something like that. So typically within the batch cooking process itself, it's fairly long because you're doing a lot of food and the simmering of beans and such um, can take an hour or two or more. Um, so it wouldn't be a whole lot to watch, but certainly with the lessons that we have on batch cooking, and then also having the ability for you to kind of learn about how to take, you know, some batch cooked beans and do three or four or five things with them, that's part of, part of our goal. So if you have more questions, we're certainly happy to, to help you with that. Um, do oil-free stir fries work? How is it done just with stock? So, um, You know, stir-frying without oil is possible. It's really um, challenging depending on the equipment that you have, the ability for you to really have good heat output. Um, A flat-bottomed carbon steel wok will work really well. Um, I find that they just have just that kind of uh, amount of surface area with the food touching where you get a lot of nice cooking and uh, fast cooking, and also the ability, if you do add uh, stock for that deglazing and that kind of lifting, um, because of that sort of uh, flatness versus more of a a concave bowl shape, you get really good sort of deglazing action if you apply that nice and um, evenly. Um, Otherwise, just a really good hot wok if it's well seasoned. Again, when you season the wok, it is seasoned with oil, so the oil is used um, like as a utility, not as an ingredient in that case. You're not adding oil, but the wok has oil, um, you know, on it uh, because of how it was seasoned. Um, or just choose some other um, some other pan. And I know there are just some nonstick pans out there that, um, you know, could work well for that, just depending on the, on the heat output and such. But, you know, generally when we're talking about stir-frying, you just want to make sure you have very hot pan um, ingredients that are cut, uh, in a small or thin way so that they cook very, very quickly. And it's about that motion, you know, kind of the motion of uh, the rapid movement and such. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and actually pass back to Chad. looks like there's a – oh, there, Ken, here we go. Sorry, I couldn't see that one down there. Um, Ken, so you uh, suggest a few titles of the most interesting uh, books um, – about food history you've read. So, um, you know, there's so many great food history books. I've got, you know, shelves of them right behind me. Um, the one that kind of started it for me, the one that actually a lot of people kind of refer to as, um, one of the very first books that kind of helped set the stage for the whole genre of food history books is a book actually about the history of sugar. Um, it's called sweetness and power. And it was written, uh, gosh, well over 30, 40 years ago now by a, a professor who just passed away, a guy named Sidney Mintz, who was an anthropology professor. And Sweetness and Power, um, again, it's about the the social history of sugar and the significance of sugar. And, you know, for a lot of people, especially in the plant-based world who have an interest in, in health, um, it's really a fascinating read to understand how um, and why sugar came to be this very important, very prominent food, um, not just in the application of, you know, making desserts and things, but really as part of the way that um, nations were built and wars were fought and fought and these sorts of things. So, uh, Sweetness and Power is a great book. Um, There's also a great book about um, salt and the history of salt, which is also fascinating from the kind of history of human development kind of perspective, um, written by a guy named Mark Kurlansky. Um, just really interesting to think about how, um, very early in human history, we started to understand the importance of salt and the role of salt in food preservation and such. Um, also a great book that, um, my friend Ken Albala wrote is a history of beans, um, goes through and really kind of underscores the various types of beans or different parts of the world, uh, you know, new world types of beans versus old world and such. Um, that's a great book. There's so many also more, uh, like compendium books, books that have, you know, more general overviews on the history of food. And there's lots and lots of books. That I think that, that qualify well, um, kind of in that, in that category. Um, so hopefully that gives you a few good titles. There's also online, um, food history, uh, you know, kind of reading lists and like, uh, you know, course books and guidebooks and things that are, really designed to kind of give you a nice long list of materials to read. Um, Oftentimes, I'll just search for online uh, college courses and look at, you know, food history at some university or some college somewhere and see what books they're using as a reference because they're always changing. And a lot of my early work was done, uh, you know, well over 15 years ago now on this stuff. So uh, hopefully that's helping. Uh, Chad, I'm going to pass to you. And um, again, thanks for those great questions. Take care.
0: Thanks so much, Ken. I appreciate that. Um, So just getting back into the questions here. So I just wanted to answer also some of my inspiration. You know, a lot of clients and students ask, you know, simple books because there's a lot of cookbooks out there that are pretty complicated, um, uh, especially if you're new to vegan food and you're new to, uh, you know, vegan ingredients and things like that. So um, there's a ton out there, but, you know, it's really ones that are uh that hit specific subjects that were of interest and that were more food trends in the plant space um one of them was um we just had her on as a live event recently uh, Jude Dever, who has uh, wrote the Aquafaba book. Um, that's that's an amazing book out there um, that that came out this year. Um, another one is um, is around vegan bacon. It's called Baconish, um, and that's a great one to kind of work with a lot of different plant-based bacon's. Um, and then uh, a couple of our uh, one of our friends over here at Ruby, uh, Jason Robel, he put out his book, Eternity, which is a great book. Uh, very simple recipes out there, um, and they all work fantastically. Um, and then there's another book that's just a beautiful book. It's called Love and Lemons Cookbook, which was a blog, um, but that's kind of highlights farmers markets and so forth. So um, definitely some some great books out there. Uh, the next one for 2017, I can selfishly push my book. <laughs> um, we have uh, Wicked Healthy at the end of the year that will be coming out out. My brother and I have a book coming out called Wicked Healthy. So keep an eye out for that. Um, Okay. So the next one, you mentioned batch cooking for clients and for you walk me through a typical cooking day. So um, it wouldn't necessarily be a full day that I would take when it came to batch cooking, but I would, um, eh, for myself, I I set one day aside a week, almost every week that I'm home. If I know I'm not traveling, I'll set, you know, say Saturday or Sunday, most of the time Sundays, uh, I'll set a few hours aside. And what I'll do is I'll roast some vegetables. So um, for example, uh, last Sunday, I had some beautiful butternut squash from the market I picked up on Saturday. I roasted them whole on 375 for about an hour and 20. I didn't, didn't break them down or anything, just, uh, oiled them a little bit and then put them in the oven, uh, at 375 for a little over an hour. And those were fantastic. I just used in, um, in a couple squash dishes throughout the week. Um, also made a very large batch of cassoulet beans. Um, um that i use throughout the week put them in a stew put them in a soup um had them with beans and rice um, and then also because I, 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 uh, purchased a bunch of vegetables from the market. I had, uh, some local cabbage, I had some local broccoli, uh, local carrots. I prepped those, uh, as well so that I was able to reach in there and throw them in salads and then also, um, have them in stir fries. So, um, there's a number of different, um, sort of simple routes when it comes to, uh, batch cooking, whether it is actually preparing the dish through heat. Um, like I mentioned, roasting the vegetables, um, um, or making stock, um, but also prepping them, um, single ingredients so that they are raw and prepped ready to go. So, um, so, you know, different ways to look at batch cooking. It's really just setting yourself up during the week and, and looking at, if you're going to make a batch of beans, you're going to make a batch of rice, you know, looking at it to supply a couple meals, you know, stretching those sort of leftovers, um, to, um, you know, um, you know, apply different recipes to the, uh, those single ingredients throughout the week um hopefully that was helpful uh next uh next comment from jillian here uh you love juicing but has have gotten into souping I haven't heard that term before, but that uh, completely makes sense. Um, that's one, especially in the colder months, you know, it's it's really nice to incorporate, the, you know, these whole food soups, you know, and um, and especially broths. You can get so many amazing vitamins and minerals from broths, and um, that's something. If I'm going to be steaming vegetables, and I know I'm steaming a lot of vegetables, and I plan on making a soup that day as well, I will keep that steaming liquid um, to um, to add to the soup, you know, just to just making sure those minerals are kept in there. So, um, you know, and again, just so warming you can have with soups, you know, and incorporating more whole vegetables and beans and so forth. So, uh, great, great feedback there, Jillian. Uh, next, next comment here is I pressure canned seasoned beans in small jars. I also can, uh, with soups and canned soups and vegetables, heat and serve. That is such a great idea, Carolyn. Uh, that is something I do a lot around uh, the fall time. Is when there is a harvest, I like to pickle um, and I make hot sauces and um, and I'll um, um, I'll make. Um, uh, different, different types of canned product and, you know, to kind of keep me through, keep having those fresh items throughout the winter. So that's a great comment. Thank you for sharing that. Um, next question is from Anthony. Uh, would you recommend serving uh, faux meats for two people new to plant-based eating? Um, this is, this is a question that you'll get in a number of different answers um, on, uh, depending on who you speak to. For myself, a hundred percent, I would recommend that there is certainly a great place for those, uh, those plant-based um, sort of meat animal so to speak. I hate calling them that, but um, these plant-based proteins processed proteins on the market. There are some pr- amazing products out there, um, you know, from Gardein to Beyond Meat to um, uh, to Field Roast. There's some great products out there. I love them myself. Um, I don't do a ton of them, but I love them myself. Um, and they're certainly a great way to introduce people. So, um, you know, if if someone is used to that texture, that's a lot of times with a lot of people that are getting, uh, you know, uh, introduced to plant-based for the first time. They, st- they look for that texture, that sort of meatiness uh, and beans just don't do it all the time for someone when they're transitioning. So, um, working with um, you know a variety of mushrooms and and also working with some of these plant-based more processed proteins on the market out there are certainly uh, a great way to introduce people to Andy. So, Anthony, sorry. Um, next question is: Are there any specific whole food plant-based bloggers out there that you would recommend following? So, um. um you know there are in terms of whole food based there is <clears throat> you know one of our favorites is Juliana Haver she has a plant based dietitian blog you'll get um a ton of nutrition information and insight with whole foods plant based there uh she also has a lot of recipes that she puts up there um and then also I'll just share ours you know we have wickedhealthyfood.com you can check that out that's a, uh, that's a great place for some recipe inspiration as well so um, what do you think about cooking plants with no salt at all? So, um, you know, I, I will rarely use no salt at all. Um, if I'm going to use no salt, it's going to be something that is, um, you know, extremely fresh and, and seasonal and at its peak of ripeness. And so it doesn't need salt. Um, so you can certainly cook with no salt at all. And that's a personal preference, I, I feel. Um, but, you know, again, we have a ton of um, we have a ton of, uh, of um, you know, suggestions within the course of of ways to really up the flavor of your dishes if you're not reaching for that sodium. So um next one uh can we cook oil free uh can we cook oil free instead of using oils in the tasks i'd like to cook oil free um you know you certainly can there's just certain tasks within this course i would say i think we've broken it down to two i would say two or three uh tasks within this course which are kind of dependent on using oil one of them is the garlic activity the other one is the risotto activity um um, because the um, what we're looking for, the outcome of that technique is we're looking for, um, you know, the application of using an oil within those tasks. But other than that, you can get away with using no oil in just about all other tasks, I would say, activities within the course. So it's certainly doable, except those, there's certain outcomes that are looked at that that do um, use, uh, use oil. So uh, next question, traveling. Can I do some lessons and quizzes and save some of the activities for when I am home? You certainly can. Morgan, this, that's the benefit of having this online course, uh, and it is self-paced, so it's whatever process works for you. The way that we ask is just for students not to jump around within the course um, um and to kind of go through the course sequentially, and if you're actually going through the course sequentially as it's written and presented, um, and just saving some of the cooking tasks, then you can certainly do that when you get back. Um, there's no problem at all there. So, and again, it's just finding that balance that works for you to to complete this within the the given time of six months. Uh, does pressure pressure cooking take away nutrients or is it as healthy as steaming? Uh, pressure cooking, I, I would say, is one of the healthiest, just up there with steaming, because you're retaining all of those nutrients. Um, in a, um, um, a, a pressured chamber. So, um, you know, it is just as healthy as steaming. Um, and I would say that you don't lose many nutrients whatsoever. I mean, steaming, you lose a good amount of nutrients, even though it is, um, one of the healthiest ways to prepare, uh, because so many people just dump the water out afterwards. A lot of those nutrients are in the water afterwards. So, Um, so I would say pressure cooking is one of the healthiest right up there with steaming. Uh, has Ruby any plans to publish a cookbook in the future? So we have spoken about this, uh, certainly internally. Um, we have a hundreds and hundreds of recipes on the site and we, we certainly hope to do this in the future. So, um, there hasn't been a timeline set, um, but we will keep you posted. Um, next question, where are the farmer's markets in Austin? Any websites to find organic only farmer's markets? So I don't know about any websites, um, in particular, um, uh, to to uh, to find uh, to find organic only products, but I would look at uh, Sustainable Food Center. Sustainable Food Center is an amazing um an amazing organization uh in, or- in uh Oregon in, in in Austin Texas that that has uh, a number of different farmers markets so the four farmers markets that I go to um you can certainly check them out on sustainablefoodcenter.com uh they just have they sponsor all of them and those are the the best markets in town i would say Uh, I'm still um, trying to get the pasta dough right. Do you know when you have the moisture right? Oh, how do you know when when you have the moisture right? So, you know, if you're following the recipe pretty clearly, um, you're going to – you know just look at those key sort of turning points with the dough so as you're blending it you put it in a food processor you're adding some of the uh, some of the dry product to that tofu mixture um, and then you're adding it to a table and then um, adding slowly more dry product until it's not sticking to your hands so um so there's not really a key piece of uh, a key moment of like d- being able to tell you how the exact moisture except when it's not sticking to your hands is when you're adding enough uh, when you have enough dry product in there so uh, susan this is something that that recipe works um uh, works very well, um, when it comes to the quantity that's in that recipe. So just kind of adjusting when you're adding those dry ingredients may help. Um, it may seem like the, the dough is too wet or too dry, but once you actually work it and, and do some kneading of that dough, then that moisture level gets to the the point that you're looking for. So, uh, the key when it comes to pasta for the others that are on this, uh, on this task within the course, you know, the key when it comes to pasta is really working that gluten. So, um, you have to really, uh, you know, knead the dough for a good 10 to 15 minutes vigorously in order to, you know, work that gluten. And then, of course, you need to let that gluten rest. Uh, But the texture that you're seeing on the outside of the dough um, is is of a, a very smooth texture once it's kneaded properly and you've worked that gluten properly. So uh, keep that in mind. If it's not kneaded properly, um, or if it's um, first of all, if it's too wet, again, it's going to stick to your hands. But um, if it's not kneaded properly, it's going to break pretty quickly during the cooking process and also rolling out process. So keep that in mind as you navigate through that task and activity. So um, thank you all so much. Amazing questions, you guys. We had a great turnout today. And I love this subject, too, is because... You know, jumping in the new year, we're all looking for those those steps that we can take to um, to reach those those health goals that we have, whether it's in the kitchen or whether it's physically or what. So, um, you know, taking that one one step a day, um, doing that one thing a day that really helps you get closer to your goal is the way to go. So, uh, and you guys have obviously done it by jumping into this Ruby course, and I want to commend everybody for that. So, um, as Ken had mentioned, uh, happy new year to everybody joining this live event from all of us over at, over here at Ruby and. Uh, Until next time, happy cooking, and we'll see you all soon. Take care.